Doesn't this just bug you? The game is starting to get exciting. Your team is driving, picking up yards and chunks, and a nice little run ends right about at the down marker. Maybe it's a first down, but it's close. So close, in fact, that they have to measure, and in come the chains, and the game comes to a screeching halt. Okay, I totally get that there has to be a point at which it's a first down, and short of that point, it's not. But a system where one guy plops the ball down where he thinks it was when the running back's knee was down, and then another few guys come in to measure with chains based on where they thought it was before, to see if any little tiny part of the ball extends beyond the stick? Downright medieval. And people who have no idea how, say, the electoral college works or how a bill becomes law, can spout chapter and verse about what constitutes a touchdown or a legal reception. Remember, one knee equals two feet, any part of the ball that breaks the imaginary plane counts, and the goal line goes around the world. <sighs> rules are rules, though, and nobody knew that as well as the people who tried to bring some order and coherence to an ancient and sometimes dangerous game now generally recognized as the most popular sport in the world, and in the process, told us something about what makes creativity possible. A document that changed the world, a book of meeting minutes containing what is now referred to as the laws of the game, written by Ebenezer Cobb Morley and approved by the Football Association in London, 1863. I'm Joe Janes of the University of Washington Information School. People have been kicking and throwing balls since there have been people, and balls are even things that act like balls. The Chinese game of Kuju arose in the 2nd century BCE and lasted until the Ming Dynasty. The 12th century Japanese game of Kimari involved kicking a ball to keep it in the air as long as possible and look good doing it. The most desirable end was to catch it in the folds of one's kimono. The indigenous peoples of Australia and North America had games not unlike soccer, but it's in Mesoamerica where sports history is the greatest. At least 3,000 years ago there was a ball game, so deeply ingrained in the culture that it's described in the Popol Vuh, and its rituals are bound up in their creation story and belief structure. These people also had the advantage of plants that could produce a form of rubber so their balls could bounce, a source of amazement and even concern to the Europeans who, shall we say, largely put an end to the fun. It falls, of course, to the English to codify and regulate all this, as they did with other sports like boxing as early as 1743, rowing, horse racing, and cricket. A game called football is the subject of a proclamation by Edward II in 1314 forbidding its play as a breach of the peace. It must have been a rough game without rules, causing property damage, riots, and even death at times with an unlimited number of players in the streets using bushes and houses as goals. Shakespeare refers to football players as an insult in King Lear, but slowly over the decades and centuries, standards started to form. It was the English public schools that served as the incubators and crucible for soccer, each developing their own slightly different in-house version of the game, leading to the inevitable confusion when they wanted to play each other. 
compromise rules were compiled in Cambridge in 1846, though they didn't get wide acceptance. A collected set was published in 1861 revealing the depth of the differences, and this led to a series of meetings in 1863 to sort this out once and for all. Those meetings were held in November in taverns across London with people from a number of the important clubs in the area to try to craft a set of rules that everybody could agree on. Not an easy task. They got stuck on whether the game should involve catching or not, and whether hacking, which we would call kicking in the shins, should be allowed. The gentleman from the Blackheath Club opined that eliminating hacking would do away with the courage and pluck of the game, and I will be bound to bring over a lot of Frenchmen who would beat you with a week's practice. His intellectual inheritors can be heard today in rueful debates about outlawing helmet-to-helmet -helmet tackling in the NFL and fighting in the NHL. The rules under discussion covered elements of the game we would think of as basic, the dimensions of the field and the goal, the introduction of the crossbar, lines, penalties, the nature of the ball, the number of players, the officials, and even wardrobe. Originally, there were only two officials. When this proved insufficient, a third was added to whom differences of opinion would be referred, hence the referee, a word already used in boxing for a generation or more. This was part of a larger movement, a period both of formalization and formation of sports. The Knickerbocker rules of baseball were created in 1845, followed by major league rules in 1877. The rules of American football were first codified in the 1870s, and tennis was largely standardized as a result of the first Wimbledon tournament in 1877. Basketball and volleyball were both created in the 1890s. The rules themselves were actually published a few days before the meeting and thus are pasted into an otherwise handwritten book of minutes. The solicitor Ebenezer Cobb Morley took it upon himself to draft the rules at home and they were approved by the newly self-appointed Football Association uh, soccer is in fact an abbreviated form of association on December 8, 1863, only a matter of weeks after the Gettysburg Address was delivered. The FA itself was formed on the same day as the Red Cross. The book is now handled with white gloves and the great reverence due to any founding document. Even though FIFA is now the International Governing Federation for Soccer, it alone is not responsible for maintaining the laws of the game. Instead, that's entrusted to a board of eight, four appointed by FIFA and one each from the associations of Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and England in what must be a deeply uncomfortable arranged marriage, especially since it takes six of eight votes to make amendments to the rules. That is also, though, an acknowledgment of the importance and centrality of rules to soccer and indeed to any sport. A sport, or a game, or a society for that matter, without rules, isn't worthy of the name. The rules are the game, and the game is the rules, no matter how ludicrous or overspecified they might be. All baseball fans, not to mention pitchers and batters, know that the strike zone is different, umpire by umpire, even pitch by pitch, but there has to be a strike zone. The debate over the charge versus the block in basketball will never end. 
nor over judging in sports like gymnastics or figure skating. Increasingly, these rules extend beyond the field of play. Consider the tortuous NCAA compliance guidelines which require entire staffs to understand and work with, salary caps, and more recently doping rules. Internationally, there is now even a parallel legal structure in the form of the Court of Arbitration for Sport to sort out disputes, all of which is part of a desire to get it right. That's why fencing uses automatic systems to detect touches and why tennis adopted the challenge system, which in theory can see where a ball strikes the court within a one millimeter margin of error. It's also why instant replay is so seductive, no matter how long it takes or how counterintuitive the results can be. And yet judgment, and necessarily error or at least subjectivity, is part of the quintessentially human nature of sport. Sports rules, like any rules, provide structure. As one author has said, a sport without rules is just play. They create standards, limitations, boundaries, which is why most sports have lines of some sort. Mainly, they provide constraints, and constraints promote creativity. Without those kinds of constraints, would we have the desperate Hail Mary pass, the stunning alley-oop, the gracefully placed drop shot, or the beautiful bending shot of David Beckham? Unlikely which is why they play and why we watch.